everyone's always navigating who am I versus who does everybody else want me to be. And gender fullness is really just about like tearing down these fake walls that exist so that you can like fit into other people's ideas, comfortable ideas of who you should be. Unisex, non-binary, genderless, those are all negatives. And so gender full really is a positive. It's a celebration of boundless identities that lap over the lines and the confines of guardrails that society expects us to adhere to, to placate the history of gender or whatever. It's really about living your fullest and most authentic and true self. There are about a million different inspirational quotes about being your authentic self and how to bring authenticity to everything you do, including your business. Matthew Herman and his company, Boy Smells, brings those cliches to life in real and very cliche ways. Boy Smells produces candles, fragrances, and more that defy the traditional gendered lines that have been drawn for decades in favor of creating a genderful experience that allows all customers to bring a mix of masculinity and femininity to their lives as they see fit. And on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Matthew and I talked about what that looks like in practice. And we dove into how and why Boy Smells has pivoted from focusing on wholesale to D2C and now to retail and partnerships. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postal, CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Matthew Herman, who's the co-founder and creator of Boy Smells. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into this. When I was first looking through my prep doc, I was like, boy smells, what is that? So I really want to kind of just start there with like, what is boy smells and how did you come about creating this? Yeah, for sure. Boy smells is called boy, but we are packaged in pink. So kind of just poking fun at this idea that like certain scents are assigned to genders. It kind of begs the questions like, well, what's a boy supposed to smell like? wait, pink's not supposed to be for boys. Like, what, why is pink just for girls, you know? And kind of pokes fun at, like, expectations, I guess, that are embedded in the social fabric around, like, gender and scent, et cetera. And, you know, creating this brand came at a time in my life where 
I was kind of opening myself up to tear down some of those boundaries that come with expectations around identity and gender for myself as I was trying to like embrace a more holistic, true version of myself. So at that time, I was wearing like a lot of floral scents because like that's what made me feel like my best and baddest self. And I was working in the fashion industry before I started working in the fragrance industry. And my girlfriends were all wearing super masculine scents like Tuscan Leather by Tom Ford or Santal 33 by La Labo. And it kind of was like, I don't know, like the boyfriend blazer, the chunky Rolex in olfactive sense. And, you know, I was doing the opposite. And even right before like a big meeting where you have to like present or you like see the CEO or the president or whatever, you know, people are like, just, you know, put a spritz of fragrance on it kind of like imbues them with a sense of like confidence and power. And I thought that that was so interesting that my girlfriends were like reaching across that binary aisle to like encapsulate this kind of more like masculinity to it. And then I was reaching across the aisle to like bring in this femininity to make me feel or each of us and all of us to feel like more powerful. And I truly believe that, you know, being able to tap into your masculinity and your femininity simultaneously makes you a more well-rounded, fully realized individual. And I think that there's power on both sides of that spectrum. And so that's kind of what the boy smells name and the, the mixing of the color and the name, you know, you can't pull them apart. You don't understand the full spectrum of like what our belief system is if you take away like the pink color from the boy smells. So on paper, it's a little confusing, but when you see the branding in real life, it's a little bit more kind of like poking a hole and peeking behind the curtain of like what we're taught and how we're taught to see ourselves and what kind of limitations we put on ourselves because of what society tells us. Yep. I love that. Okay. So when you're thinking of all these ideas and you're like, I have this brilliant plan to make a product that's going to question the narrative that we've kind of, you know, all heard growing up. What was the next step? Because I mean, it feels daunting to be like, I have a lot of like a really big plan here. And now like, how do I actually make the product and get into it? And so what did that look like for you? Yeah, totally. So honestly, we started making candles for fun and for friends, like on the weekends and like giving them to coworkers and just kind of like messing around. I was working as a design director at Nasty Gal. And that's why I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, my partner, David, was working in production at Elder Statesman, which is the luxury cashmere company. And I think we were kind of like wanting to get off that hamster wheel of like new product every month. Like, you know, here's 40 dresses and we're launching that 40 dresses 12 times a year. And just kind of like, oh my God, it's just like so much product. And it feels like almost like a a waste of like creative output to like be on that hamster wheel. And David was doing the same in production with kind of a same kind of cycle there. So we really wanted to work on product that had kind of a lasting impression. The first six candles that we launched, I believe that five of them are still in the range and some of them are still our best sellers, you know? So like we made that and it's lasted five years and we still get to share that and people still get to discover that every day. And it's so much more kind of like a rewarding process to create like a product that like has a much longer lifespan. 
And so, you know, we just kind of started putting, you know, one foot in front of the other, made them for friends. David, with his production background, was really good at like figuring out like the wax, the wick, you know, all like the manufacturing and, you know, kind of science behind it. I was great at creating fragrances. Together, we came up with the branding and we just bought boxes. We bought the glass, we put it together and we just kind of put it out into the world to see if it would resonate. I'm like kind of embarrassed to say, but like we never wrote some big business plan and we were never like, we're going to disrupt gender values and fragrance. You know, we were just like doing what was natural to us. We were like two queer individuals and we were just like reclaiming and redefining what it meant for us to be proud, like men or guys or boys, you know, and like kind of reclaiming like what that space could mean for us and like loving the color pink and like loving floral scents. And we just literally, David was like, what should we call it? And I just turned around. I was like, let's call it boy smells. And then we got the papers. I was like, that'd be cool. Let's put it in pink because that's like really weird, you know? And then it wasn't like this big premeditated thing, but as the brand took off and we saw like how much people loved it, we realized that like, you know, poking fun at these kind of expectations around identity is really us saying like, come shop at Boy Smells because we stand for being released from all of those expectations. We stand for being released from the pressures that you might feel to fit into somebody else's box. Like we are a path to living authentically, no matter what anybody else cares about. And um, it just took off like way faster than we ever could have imagined. And six months in, David quit his job. 12 months in, we hired our first employee. 18 months in, I quit my full-time job. And those were all really scary things because, you know, only this year did I like started (laughs) paying myself the same amount that I made before we started this company. And it's been five years. So, you know, it was a long time of just kind of plugging away at it. Um, We started the whole business in our house, no overhead for an office. We didn't pay ourselves for the first two years. So no real like overhead as far as um, headcount or human capital went. We really put every single cent made back into more inventory and then so that we could open more stores, et cetera, et cetera. And because of our backgrounds in the fashion industry, we just had a bunch of like great things happen early on, like by George in Austin, they were like the first retailer of our candles because my friend bought by George from the original owners, like right around that time. And I was like, I'm just going to drop off like the collection at your house. Let me know if y'all want to buy it. And then when I worked at Nasty Gal, the buyer for dresses, because I was like running the dress department for InDesign, was a girl named uh, Lisa. And she started a, a company called Lisa Says Ga, which is like an online retail, like fashion retailer. So when she left Nasty Gal, I sent her the candles. I was like, hey, would you ever consider selling these on your store? So also at that time, like people from 10 over six were consulting at By George. And so 10 over six brought it in. And so kind of like, Right after we launched, we were in these like really directional fashion boutiques that a lot of other stores and buyers look to as to like what they're carrying, et cetera. So we had like kind of like a halo effect early on of like really cool stores carrying the brand. And that like took us very far and gave other stores confidence to like buy into us. And so yeah, you get that first logo, first brand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you're good. I mean, what I also think is so interesting about your story is that 
so many people, you know, probably even listening are working within companies. And to me, I feel very like, kind of like you, like you're within an industry, learn as much as you can. And then that's where a lot of business ideas can come. And right now it's like so many people maybe coming out of school are just kind of like, I want to start a business right away. And I always think like the best lessons I ever had and like why I even can own a business now is because I worked at, you know, the Googles and even the Fannie Mae's and the places that maybe back then I didn't really see a path. Yeah. But once you start kind of like uncovering secrets and be, you know, becoming very entrepreneurial, that's the best way to kind of put you on a path to, you know, actually know you know, the ins and outs of that industry, just like you, where you're like, well, now I already, you know, had a friend here and knew how to do this here and knew what to ask for and knew the language to use, which is so important. Absolutely. And I've worked at places that have been less successful at times, you know, so, you know, I worked in super high end runway fashion during the economic downturn. And that was a big eye opener. Like, what does it take to stay afloat when like nobody's buying luxury goods and like everyone's just trying to keep their house? You know, how do you pivot a business? Like at Nasty Gal, I was there through like the the high highs and some of the low lows. And I saw like, what were some of the recipes for success? What were some of the recipes that were less successful? What were the opportunities that maybe nobody saw that we could have taken advantage of, et cetera. And so I'm extremely thankful for all of the skill sets that I developed, you know, along the way that I never would have had. Like, this sounds like crazy, but when I was a fashion designer, I was working at Zach Posen. I was running the design team and I was running the atelier. And what it's like right before a fashion show, and you have like 200 garments to have like sewn, cut, and made, and you have like 20 sewers and you have two factories out of house, et cetera, et cetera. And you have all these moving parts and you were just like, you know, looking at the whole puzzle piece coming together with a hard deadline, all of those skills, I rolled straight into like pandemic voicemails. It's like our factory was shut down. Our glassware factory was shut down. Like our pink paper came from Northern Italy. And all of a sudden we were like setting up, you know, people who worked in, candle factories, we were like setting up home offices for them with fold-out tables and wax melters and fragrance and dropping them off. And it was basically the exact same job that I had of like getting garments made for a fashion show, but like all the time, you know, trying to get candles made during the pandemic when everything was shut down and people had to isolate. And that's just like one example, but I, I am a huge advocate to learn as much as you can from other people's successes and other people's failures, be a part of those teams, and then roll those skill set into, you know, starting your own company. I didn't start voicemails until I was 34. And that's, I had a wealth of professional experiences that led up to that, that totally informed how we navigate through this, you know, solo journey of ours. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So how many employees do you have now? There are 15 of us now. Uh, we expect to be 30 people by this time next year, which is crazy um, and slightly terrifying, but yeah. also really exciting. Because every time we like bring somebody else on, it feels a little daunting because our bandwidth is like totally maxed out. So I think that a lot of people get in this place where they're scaling quickly, where they scale quickly. Then the idea of onboarding somebody feels like a monumental task because you have no time to -hmm. develop that person. And I think that's a very dangerous place to get, but it's a necessary place to be when you're like a small brand self-funded because you, 
there's not like a ton of disposable cash to burn and like bring mm-hmm. on a bunch of people before the growth happens. You're always like backfilling, uh, yeah. you know, after the growth. Yep. But every time we bring somebody else on, I see like the relief of pressure. You know, we kind of like let that pressure valve release a little bit. Our bandwidth increases. Then we grow into that capacity. The business grows with it. Then we bring on more people. And if you bring on the right people too, to me, that's like the biggest lesson I've learned over the past couple of years is like, you're investing a lot as a company to just bring one person on and yourself running the company, you have to train them and then your team's training them. And like, there's a lot that goes into every new person. Mm -hmm. And if you bring on the wrong person and then like three months later, you're like, oh, this isn't really working. I mean, to me, it takes three months to scale someone up usually. Absolutely. Yeah. Once I started realizing like if the level of talent, if you bring on someone who's better than you, better than anyone on the team, like that's when you really can, you know, not be as worried about every new headcount. Yeah. Uh, Whereas in the early days, it's like, let me go for someone who's a little less expensive and I can train them up. And now I'm like, no, they they need to train me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, we find that a lot because, you know, David and I come from a fashion background. We hired a CEO this year, also comes from a fashion and accessories apparel background. You know, we need functional experts in Mm -hmm. fragrance and beauty because that's the area in which we're playing. And we kind of filled the house with a lot of fashion people, which I love because we treat this candle brand and fragrance brand like it's a fashion company. I think that's what sets us apart because we that's all we know. That's the only way we know how to market a product. That's the only way we know how to like exist in like our creative output. But we do need like for operations you know, research and development, product development, production, you know, we really need functional expertise that come from the beauty industry because, you know, those are the connections. That's the technical knowledge that we really need in order for ourselves to be successful. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to hiring a CEO, like what was the thoughts behind that? What did it actually look like? Because you hear a lot of both sides, like you hear companies hiring CEOs and you're like, uh-oh, like what's happening over there? Or when they change CEOs and then other times you see it and it works out yeah. beautifully. You're like, that was a good call. Like what, what were you guys thinking around that? How'd it go? I wish I always had like much more premeditated, like I put this grand plan into place and then we execute on it. But as is the case with a lot of voicemails, it just kind of happened um, serendipitously. So my parents uh, moved to Mexico part-time in a town called San Miguel de Allende. And there was another American who had a home in San Miguel who a lot of people suggested that I meet. And his name was David Duplantis. And he spent 14 years at coach and left as a president and was part of like the senior, senior leadership team there and really developed like store planning, merchandising, e-commerce, consumer experience, social media, like really like a lot of things laddered up to him. And so I met him once when he was back in New York and I was in New York because he, his primary residence was in New York and we just had breakfast one day and then we stayed in touch and I started getting his opinion on certain things. And then he just started kind of like being this fairy godfather to us and like was consulting for us at no, no cost or charge to us just as like friends. He was um, kind of in a space where he was really focused on mentoring other people as just a, you know, a personal reward to him. And as we developed and decided to do a search for senior leadership, I kind of let him know that we were considering this to try to get his advice on 
like the best way to go about it, secretly hoping that he would ask to be considered for the position. And he did. And so um, it just really happened very, very organically. We never actually did an official set it out to search or anything, mm-hmm. but um, we had the advantage of working with David for 18 months before, you know, he came on as CEO. Yeah. So he already knew all the ins and outs and had ideas around exactly what he would do anyways, probably. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, we didn't have to present like the best versions of ourselves. He already knew what he was getting <laughs> into uh, when he signed up. But I think that's rare that people get that opportunity to work together for so long before making that decision. And I think it would be very daunting to have to pick a CEO after just meeting somebody two or three times or four times or off of paper or whatever. So we feel really lucky that we have that. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So I want to talk a bit about your business model, because I think you started as wholesale, you pivoted to D to C, and then you were mentioning earlier, you know, you guys are making a big push into retail. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of hear about the evolution and, you know, what it looked like every step of the way. Yeah. I mean, I think like when you talk to any like financial advisor, right, they're like, diversify your portfolio. You know what I mean? It's like to like, you know, you'll avoid the most risk because like when certain things do well, you know, and other things don't do as well, you have that opportunity and, you know, the pendulum is always shifting. So coming from high fashion backgrounds, you know, and that being our previous experiences, we really like kind of leaned into a wholesale model me nor David really come from super, even though I worked at Nasty Gal, like I was on the design team. I wasn't part of like, you know, the digital team. I was more familiar with the wholesale model and like at least executing on it. So we really leaned into that in the first couple of years. And then we saw like exponential growth, exponential growth. And then one year we had like a little bit less growth than we had hoped for still triple digits. We've never had a year without triple digit growth, but that year was a little bit less than we were expecting. So we went into the pandemic year. We went into 2020, deciding to really invest in digital. We hired our first digital digital marketing team, which sits out of house, invested in internal marketing resources and assistance in-house, and we kind of went into 2020, like knowing that that's where we were going to invest our money. And it wasn't a huge investment, but you know, to us, it felt like a huge investment at the time. So we rolled January that started February of that year. We had a slow burn, which is our Casey Musgraves collab, which was kind of our, we've had a successful products like with Kush and other candles, but like, this was our first, like 
crazy big, like immediate sellout product that we never had. And then it sold out like in an hour or something like that. And then we did like a pre-sale like a week later and like we ended up like pre-selling 20,000 units or something crazy. That's awesome though. Are you guys like, yes, like how much were you celebrating when you were seeing these numbers? I was so excited, but I was also like, careful what you wish for. We were like, um, we've never had to produce like 20,000 units of one skew Mm -hmm. and like as quickly as possible ever before in our lives. It totally took us by surprise. I think we ordered like 2,500 units for the first one. And we were like, this will last us like three months, you know, Uh (laughs) totally didn't see it coming. Um, And then three weeks after that, we were in lockdown, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and which basically, if you look at like our, our D to C numbers from like March 12th through March 19th of, of last year, which is like when all the lockdown orders went into place, it was literally like, like, it was just like, literally people were like, Oh, I'm stuck at home for an undisclosed amount of time. I'm going to need a candle for this. I want things to smell good around me. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And, you know, at the same time, like that pink paper that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. that comes from Northern Italy, shut down. Our glassware comes from China, shut down. Our candle factory, like after two two weeks after lockdown got shut down. My gosh. Like totally nuts. But our D to C channel did grow a thousand percent in 2020. So like, what were you guys doing though? You have all these sales coming in. It sounds like your entire like supply chain gone. Like, what did you all do to fulfill that? Yeah, we were getting glassware domestically. We were printing our pink box. We were printing that color pink mm-hmm. on white boxes, which you'd never done for the first time because that, even though every single other brand in the entire world prints color on white, um, I hate seeing like the white edge on yeah. the, like on like the box or something <laughs> like that. I love your attention to detail. You're just my style. <laughs> I know our, our, our production team hates me, but, um, <laughs> but like, so we, we did, we cut a few corners, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. or not cut corners. We, we reimagined our supply chain in a way that could support the business during that time period. Mm-hmm. And then our team was like, insane and so scrappy, literally renting U-Haul vans, dropping off oils, glass, and boxes at people's garages, buying them wax melters, buying them fold-out tables. So people really had like work from home candle factories. And we were doing that also ourselves at our home and at our office. And, you know, we were finding third-party logistic companies to, that were still shipping essential goods to like, co-pack and ship out all of our candle orders and things like that. So we basically like kind of threw out all of our systems and just like making it work every single day. And then of course things slowly started to reopen. So we kind of went from like throwing out the playbook to coming out the other side, a very different company and at a very different size with like a very, with a much larger customer pool and like having grown D to C muscle mass that like didn't even exist anymore. So once we kind of came out of it and came up for breath, we were like, we basically have to rebuild our organization from scratch because like we never established best practices for a brand new business model or even like reassigned roles and responsibilities. Like totally chaotic and, and fun. And I'm so proud of our team. So I think we're still 
rebuilding into the organization that we need to be coming out of the pandemic because it grew so quickly. And then, of course, like that shift we're now seeing, like we became so popular in DTC during the pandemic, that coming out of the pandemic and with the resurgence of interest in home fragrance, we're now, you know, Nordstrom has put us into all 100 doors. We have, you know, across the pond and at Space and K in the UK, we're in like, I think 35 doors there. There's just been like much more large scale wholesale opportunities. So we're seeing a really, really, really big growth in wholesale this year, way above 100% growth. Um, and then in D to C, I think we're looking at like 90% growth for this year. So still yeah, crazy. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but, Congratulations. Um, That's great. <laughs> thanks. But not quite the 1000% growth of uh -huh. last year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's still epic though. Or maybe when thinking about the shift that you had to make really quickly, you know, you hear of some companies who are maybe kind of going back to the way they were doing things before where everything was kind of overseas and they're kind mm -hmm. of moving back to that model. And then you hear of other companies who are like, I kind of see a new way of doing it now and I'm going to stick with half of these things. Mm -hmm. What what did you guys do? Are there certain things that you, you know, quickly pivoted to? over the past year or two that you're like, oh, actually, this is a new way of doing it. And there's no reason to maybe go back to the old way. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the pandemic is like still here with us, you mm -hmm. know, I'm sure, you know, boy smells is not unique in the fact that our raw materials sit off port waiting to dock yep. and get unloaded for yeah. three to six weeks where they hear it in every interview. Yeah, no, it's, I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. It's like a broken record. No, some people actually tell me how to solve it though, which is also kind of interesting. I have heard a couple of guests kind of leaning into their retail partners to basically mm -hmm. say, Hey, can we be a part of your shipment Walmart? So then you can get us here. Cause they maybe have the entire cargo ship. So I've heard some interesting strategies Amazing that has been kind of cool to, be like, hey, maybe other brands should lean into this if they can, if they have the order quantity or the partnership there. I'm going to have to listen to the backlog of interviews. <laughs> yes. We're basically um, planning inventory just a lot further out. Adding six to eight weeks onto all of our lead times for raw materials is um, necessary, but it also means that we have to scrape back six to eight weeks on all of our product development and research and development. So, um, you know, we've shifted launch dates a lot this year. Um, we're launching our holiday collection on November 1st, which is super exciting, but we had a plan to launch it like in early October. Um, so that, that whole collection moved out a month. We just launched a new Phantom collection, um, which is super exciting, but you know, we had to air in the first batch of inventory for that, which is so expensive. Airing in glassware is like not fun. <laughs> I can only imagine like, and half of it is broken yeah. because it had a little turbulence. <laughs> it's not that. It's more like, <laughs> oh, it costs 20 cents a unit to do it by boat or and it costs $2 a unit to do yep. it by air. So, you know, we're just seeing like huge, you know, margin erosion by like mm -hmm. being having to air anything in. But also like we want to air in the minimum amount possible because we want to like, you know, we want to protect our margin as much as possible. So we aired in what we thought would be enough, but the collection was like a way bigger hit than we thought. So like it sold out, I think in a week. And then we sat with no inventory for two weeks. And we thought that initial inventory would last us a whole month. It only lasted three a week. And then we didn't have another production run coming for another two weeks. So we are conscious of the fact that we do not want to 
cause any kind of irritation with our customers or any kind of like lack of confidence that we'll be in stock of certain items or that they won't receive things on time if they buy it from us at a certain time. So we're trying to just get in front of things and be proactive with our communication, try to be like transparent and honest with our customers as to why these delays are happening. And that's kind of like, you know, um, we're still kind of living in that pandemic situation, but I will have to say, if we hadn't have gone through this last year, like the shipping delays last year, I don't think anybody knew that like UPS, FedEx, DHL, you know, USPS would be so kind of like crumbling under the weight of monumental shipping that, you know, was happening last year because nobody was traveling. Everybody was ordering things online. We navigated so many customer service issues with delayed shipments for holiday last year. That was super tough, but like we get to take all of those learnings with us and totally like have so much of a better customer journey this year than they did last year. I think like any tough time, you just like get smarter and you like grow your tool set and then you just take that with you to the next adventure. Yep, I agree. So the one thing I wanted to talk about too was around your products because I love it where you were kind of talking about your products are kind of evergreen and you don't want to have to be releasing like a new one, you know, every single month and, you know, getting bogged down in that. I mean, to me, if I had a product company, it would be that style. Like, how can I make a product evergreen and be here 10 years from now? So I'm not always having to like, you know, think about new things. Like my gift here, I want to be able to have it keep giving for a long time. But how do you think about introducing new things, new partnerships, and then also keeping your baseline of products also relevant? I mean, are you adjusting the marketing around it? Like, how do you keep both of them, you know, top of mind for customers? Yeah, our product pyramid is what I would call it is not unique to voicemails, but it is might be unique, I guess, to candles, which we didn't really see when we entered the market is that we have top of the pyramid is like a super pinnacle collab, sells out quickly, in and out, lots of buzz, halo effect. Then we have the middle of our pyramid, seasonal products, seasonal collections. They might stay for three to six months. And then we have our core business, which is the bottom of the pyramid. It's the foundation of our business and it should be the biggest part of our business. And we really kind of follow that cadence. So things like Slow Burn or our collaboration with Ghani, that's like really driving buzz, press, excitement. Then we have like our holiday collection, our Phantom collection. We do a collection for Pride. We do a collection in the spring. That's really driving kind of that seasonal seasonal sales. And then we have our black and pink candles, which are always in stock. It's always replenishable. Like it's tried and true. Those are kind of like the things that people like fall in love with and burn in their homes at all times. We realize that we can't, grow at the rate that we want to without seasonal collections because it is what drives interest. It's like what drives press, it drives earned media. But you know, our core business is really the tried and true sense. And we've had to, to make hard decisions about our core collections. You know, there are things that were in limited collections that we know are better sense, that we know are more commercial, that then graduate into core. And then we have to like, you know, with surgical precision take away low performing SKUs in our core collection. So while the core collection is kind of tried and true, it does evolve as our customer evolves, as tastes evolve, et cetera. And really the goal is like, if something's like amazing in seasonal, 
the end goal is for it to graduate into our core collection. And if anything is like a low performing skew for, you know, a year or so, then we will have to kind of like drop it out of the collection, which does some cause irritations because there's always a cohort of fans of like some synth that, you know, isn't as popular for others. But um, those are the tough decisions that we have to make and they're the best things for the business. And that's our responsibility as business owners. Yep. I love that. So the other thing I want to touch on was like your marketing strategy around maybe connecting with new customers versus current ones. Mm -hmm. Because I know one of your strategies was around the term genderful was like a mark of inclusion. I hadn't heard that term before. And so to me, I'm like, that's such a, like you guys have such a good brand story to tell and so much education around just your brand and you that could be told to new customers, bringing them in that way. How do you kind of, you know, view that when it comes to like marketing the company? Like, how do you use that? Yep. Genderful is a term that is a positive, right? Unisex, non-binary, genderless. Those are all kind of like double negative or they're negatives. And so genderful really is like a positive. It's a celebration of boundless identities that go, you know, that lap over the lines and the confines of guardrails that society expects us to adhere to, to, I don't know, placate the history of gender or whatever, you know, it's really about like living your fullest and most authentic and true self. So that could be Casey Musgraves being a liberal uh, woman writing and producing her own music in the super conservative voice club of country music. You know, country music radio won't even play her music because she doesn't like kowtow to like the powers that be or whatever. I think we all saw like also like the Grammys aren't nominating her for country music uh, album of the year because it doesn't like fall within these specific parameters. I mean, same for Little Nas X, you know. It could also mean during our Pride collections, we get to work with Simone or Got Mick from RuPaul's Drag Race, but we actually got to like photograph got Mick as Cade, um, which is their, you know, uh, their true identity, um, having transgendered, uh, you know, we thought it was really important to like represent them as their out of drag persona. Also, uh, our last pride collection, we got to photograph Tommy Dorfman, um, Brandon Flynn, Lena Bloom. So, you know, it can either mean expanding the expectations of your gender. It can mean celebrating a spectrum of gender that really exists in the world, or it can mean cultivating internally like a sense of identity where you're not, you know, amputating any set part of your personality or access to any part of your personality just because you feel the societies to feel the pressures from society to be one way or another way. And as a queer man, individual, he, him, they, them pronouns, um, either one work. I often found myself kind of like backing into a sense of identity that was not only true to myself, but also good for everyone else. So it was like kind of like a version of me. And I think everybody resonates with that, right? That's not just like a queer person thing. That's like for everyone. Everyone's always like navigating like who am I versus who does everybody else want me to be? Gender fullness is really just about like tearing down 
these fake walls that exist so that you can like fit into other people's ideas, comfortable ideas of like who you should be. And I love that we're like living in a day and age where like, I don't know, Harry Styles is a straight man on the cover of Vogue wearing a dress, you know, or that, you know, that pose is like nominated for Emmys and like is one of the number one shows on TV. I think it's exciting that like queer kids don't even like come out anymore. You know, it's like not even like required. And so for me, like gender fullness is really, you know, genderless, like basically avoids the topic altogether. It neuters identity a little bit. So if you think of genderless as kind of like a linen painter smock or shift dress, you know, like gender fullness is like patterns and colors. It's like Christian Lacroix times Dries Van Noten. It is like a world where it's really about like using all of the paints and all the colors in the paint box to like paint the most full picture of who Mm -hmm. you are. And we just happen to make candles now with that. (laughs) We mix traditionally masculine and feminine scent notes together to encourage a more like spectral view of identity and also to hopefully cultivate that within yourself when you wear or burn one of our fragrances in your home. But we see potential for that to like go into the bathroom, go into apothecary, go into self-care, go into beauty. And like boy smells, um, we just happen to make candles right now, but like we really see a much bigger brand for our future because- like the bathroom is such a gendered space, right? Like I grew up kind of being like, these are the things on my dad's vanity. These are the things on my mom's vanity. And it was mm-hmm. like, I remember my mom had this like one powder from like, you know, I probably sent it with like violets or something. And it was like from France and it just seemed so fancy. And I loved it. But I was like, I was like, knew it was kind of dangerous because I knew I like, I wasn't supposed to like those things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I love the idea of like, kind of pulling back a lot of those like like uh gender identifier and like you know moments in the bathroom because like no one's as feminine as dub body wash no one's as masculine (laughs) as old spice like and nobody probably wants to be and like yeah i don't know i don't like when you brush your teeth no one's like oh man i i really identify with this mint toothpaste but if you know you're genderful maybe your toothpaste is like rose and pink peppercorn flavor and like you're like <laughs> wow like this was a yeah. this was an affirming moment for me you know when it usually would have just been like a throwaway moment and i think that's what excites me and i think that's what excites our company to like keep going and keep growing is to like bring permission to people to be their fullest self mm-hmm. and if we can do that through the little rituals in our day i think that that is very, very powerful and, and very exciting. And I don't want to get like too carried away with it. Cause I, I know we, you know, at the end of the day, we're selling stuff, but for me personally, like I wish a brand like voice smells mm-hmm. had existed when I was younger. Cause I think I would have found it like important. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I think you should lean more into that. I feel like you should be the spokesperson to this movement. Yes, you also sell products, but to me, I haven't heard someone speaking so eloquently in a way that actually is very inclusive to everyone. Like you said, Mm -hmm. a lot of terms can feel very divisive and like it doesn't feel like it's in a way that's bringing everyone together. And I love the way that you speak about that in a way that like anyone can get excited. No one can be, you know, against the idea of like, be your full self. Doesn't matter who you are, like embrace it. You can love whatever you want. So if anything, I'd say lean more into that because I haven't heard people talk in a way like you do. Well, thank you. Um, I find it super exciting. And I think that gender inclusion 
is something that a lot of brands, especially in the self-care and beauty space, struggle with how to Mm -hmm. talk about. Um, And I think gender fullness is like a really beautiful word to kind of encapsulate a world where like everybody's invited to the party and seen for the person that they want to be seen as and celebrated for that. And showing that everyone's kind of struggling too. It doesn't matter who you are. Like people have had those feelings. Doesn't Mm -hmm. matter where you've been, how you grew up. Like I'm sure people have felt these feelings at one point in their life. And I think oftentimes it's like, oh, these people feel this way and you've never felt this before. And it's like, here it is coming together. Like everyone has struggled in some way. Everyone probably wants to feel more authentic and be themselves. Why don't we all do it together? Yeah, exactly. I think it's a universal experience at some point in your life that you have not been seen for the way that you see yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, you know, a very painful feeling to go through and, um, and it can be damaging, you know, to how you present yourself for the rest of your life. And I think the more that people can have a sense of permission, the more that they can feel seen, even if that's through the products that they surround themselves with, I think that that is cool. Yep. I do too. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed sitting here and hanging out today. Where can people find out more about Voice Smells and get a candle? Yes, of course. So uh, you can go to www.voicemells.com, which is going to have the latest and greatest to shop. You can find us at B-O-Y underscore underscore S-M-E-L-L-S on Instagram. You can find us in every Nordstrom uh, in North America. And we are also opening our first ever pop-up store in Culver City in Los Angeles at the Platform Shopping Complex, um, which we're super excited about. And that will open on November the 4th. Amazing. Thanks so much, Matthew. Thank you. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.